WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. He's perhaps the most buzzed about politician in the Charlotte area. State Senator Jeff Jackson. He's made a name for himself in Raleigh and has uh, grown a huge following on social media. Well, this week he announced he is running for U.S. Senate in 2022. It'll be an open seat and it's expected to be a barn burner with lots of folks running for it, high profile folks. Nearly two years out, uh, two others in the race, several other prominent names eyeing it. Here in North Carolina, we just finished a U.S. Senate race, the most expensive one ever, and yet this one could very well beat it. Joining us now, Jeff Jackson. Uh, Mr. Jackson, congratulations on your announcement, first of all. Uh, listen, I feel like you, you are a fairly known quantity here in the Charlotte area. You are well known. You have a big following. Um, for folks outside of the Charlotte area who might not know who you are, um, give us your, your 30 second uh, pitch here. Who is Jeff Jackson? Jeff Jackson is from North Carolina. Um, when, during college, uh, when 9 11 struck, I enlisted in the Army, uh, in the reserves, and was sent to Afghanistan. Uh, came home, went to law school at UNC Chapel Hill on the GI Bill, moved to Charlotte, started working at the district attorney's office in Gaston County. Then in 2014, the mayor of Charlotte was arrested by the FBI, like clear out of the blue. And our, uh, our mayor stepped down. Our state senator was picked to become the new mayor, Dan Podfelter, if you recall, back in 2014. So we needed a new state senator. And I got picked pretty much clear out of the blue. I had never run for office. I wasn't on a first name basis with any elected official, uh, but they said, Jeff, you go to Raleigh and join the state Senate. I had to quit my job at the district attorney's office. You're not allowed to be a prosecutor and elected official at the same time. And I showed up at the state Senate at age 31, roughly half the average age of the place. And I learned a whole lot about the state. And I really got a masterclass in what it takes to stand up to corruption and stand up to defend a democracy because there was a small group of people in charge who just wanted to steamroll people. And so there's a lot of standing in front of a steamroller and there are a lot of fights that you end up winning and you learn a lot about the state. And so now you want to take that fight up to uh, DC. That's right. I'm running because I want to, I want to raise people's expectations for what a Senator can do for North Carolina. We should be using this job to stand up for people. Our state has 10 and a half million people only two U.S. senators, and at least one of them should be in the habit of standing up for people. Right now, we're zero for two. All right, so your party increasingly um, diverse and, and celebrates that diversity. Um, the U.S. Senate, almost all white right now, with a few exceptions. Uh, why should the party support what is admittedly another white guy when there's a woman of color running against you? And there's now, with Kamala Harris not in the Senate, there's not a single woman of color in the Senate, and your party champions this idea. I completely understand that those are all totally fair questions and the burden is completely on me to earn that credibility. I want to use this job to stand up for people. That is why I'm running. You can't do that in an honest way without standing up for people who are mistreated because of race or gender or sexual orientation or disability, even if I may not share that race, gender, sexual orientation or disability. I'm literally running for this job to stand up for those folks. And look, I think I've got a really strong record on this, standing up to racial gerrymandering, standing up to HB2, being a consistent advocate for the Equal Rights Act. None of this done softly, not being a quiet ally. We're going to campaign strongly. We're going to campaign on our values. We're going to campaign boldly and energetically. And we're going to campaign in 100 counties. This is going to be a true 
100 county campaign, the first that our state has seen in a long time. And that's what it's going to take to win. And I want to talk about that 100 county campaign because uh, you're making it a big pillar of your campaign going forward. And the thing is, you you, you tout, Democrats tout uh, issues like affordable health care, minimum wage, early childhood education, all issues that should appeal to working class families. Um, and they do in some parts, but yet the message falls flat in rural parts uh, of this state where Trump won and won big. What has your party been doing wrong? Well, I don't think we show up in a sustained way. We, show, like, we like to show up in the 90 days before an election. Sometimes we'll run some ads in that, in that part of the state, but are we really there in an engaged and sustained way on a statewide level year in and year out? I don't think so. Usually, these statewide campaigns boil down to being about 10 or 15 counties. We're making a decision at the beginning to do all 100 after Georgia, after the Senate victories in Georgia. I read Stacey Abrams' playbook the next morning, 16 pages. I'd recommend it to everybody. But it really boiled down to me to two key points. First, use organizing, not just to get out the vote in the last 60 days, but use it to expand the electorate. Expand your concept of what a winnable voter actually means. And two, if you're going to do that, it means you have to start much earlier. That's what we're doing. We're taking this effort really seriously. It's not about being too clever and having some brilliant strategy that gets phoned in from DC. It's about just actually trying to do a good job, right? If you were trying to do a good job, you would go to all 100 counties. If you were treating this campaign as preparation for the job and not just a gigantic marketing tactic, this is exactly how you would approach it. After um, uh, Barack Obama came into office and the House and Senate were both Democrat, as what happened is what happens usually in midterms is, as Barack Obama said, we got shellacked. Um, yeah. And that's what you're going to be up against coming up uh, two years from right now. It's not going to be the exact same thing as Georgia in 2020. Um, it, it's going to be North Carolina in 2022 with Democrats controlling the House, the Senate, the White House, no matter what kind of amazing campaign you can run can you run against that that is a great point i don't think that anyone in my party this distance out from the election should say we expect a blue wave in 2022 i don't think we can bank on that we have to actually outperform the historical trend as you just outlined that's the importance of a 100 county campaign because you have to not only motivate your friends, but you have to make new friends. And there's no real, there's no real way to do that without actually showing up in all of these places all around the state. So the first step is a 100 county campaign. The second step is we show what we've learned by going to all these places by rolling out a North Carolina agenda, an agenda that actually reflects our state and isn't just a set of talking points that get phoned in from DC. We're going to run the North Carolina campaign. I think it's going to be in contrast, if we're lucky enough to be the nominee, to whoever on the other side is, because they're going to be running the consultant campaign. They're going to be running the National Republican playbook. We're going to be running the North Carolina campaign. What to get your take on a couple of things currently happening. If you were in the US Senate right now, should the president uh, be convicted, did uh, the past president be convicted, did he incite that insurrection at the US Capitol? He said before the election that if he didn't win, it meant the election was rigged. Then after the election, against all of the evidence, he said that it was stolen. Then he summoned everyone to the Capitol. Then he stood before them and told them to march on the Capitol and take their democracy back, in his words. And then people were killed. It was an international embarrassment. The question isn't whether or not he should be impeached and convicted. It's whether or not we consider the impeachment clause of our Constitution to be operational? Do we consider it to be a real thing? 
that exists in our Constitution. I do. So, yes, I would. Uh, what do you think should happen to the filibuster? Should they keep it or get rid of it? I think it's hanging by a thread right now, and that's the best case you can, that's the best thing you can say for it. I think if Mitch McConnell chooses to act in any manner remotely resembling the total obstruction that he did last time, I think it's gone. Uh, finally, if, if, if elected, you'll be serving alongside Tom Tillis. What's your assessment of Tom Tillis? My assessment of Tom Tillis is that he doesn't do much to stand up for working people and working families, and he talks a big game during an election. We need at least one senator from this state who is in it to actually stand up for people. That's why I'm running. And this actually is the final one. You, you've got a wife, kids. Um, what do they have to say about this? You, you, you have asked a lot of them in, in the next two years. They're on board. We're going to make this a family adventure. We're going to make this something that we all do together. And frankly, you know, we talked about it over the holidays, um, and we were you know, going back and forth, pros and cons. But after, what, after the events of January 6th that my wife and I watched together, she turned to me and said, Jeff, you have to run. And I said, I think that's right. I think I do. So we are completely on board. All right. The whole state of North Carolina along on this adventure with you for the next few years. Jeff Jackson, thank you, sir. Don't be a stranger. Thank you. Take care. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warn storm team will be there for you. Welcome back to Flashpoint at WCNC Shot. Defenders investigation found CMPD is arresting people for low-level drug crimes, despite the fact that the Mecklenburg County District Attorney made it clear he's no longer going to prosecute those cases. Back in November, DA Spencer Merriweather told CMPD that in an effort to overcome pandemic-related court delays, he's now prioritizing violent crime over drug crimes. Under the policy, suspected low-level dealers won't face prosecution unless police actually see them selling and find a large amount of drugs on them. However, it took two months and our reporting for rank and file police officers to get the memo. And when our reporter Nate Morbido asked them about it on Wednesday, they finally admitted that the district attorney's recent policy change remains sort of a work in progress for the police department. As it stands right now, discretion still lies with the officers to make that arrest. Now, in response to our reporting, CMPD emailed officers late Tuesday afternoon detailing the new policy and urging them to continue to use their discretion to, quote, police in a way that builds confidence and safety in our community. CMPD also reminded officers that instead of arresting someone, they can seize drugs and divert people to a treatment center on the spot. Join us now to talk about that and other things. Uh, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari, as well as Larkin Eggleston. Gentlemen, thank you both. Appreciate it. Um, first off, we'll begin with this. This seems like a pretty big shift uh, when it comes to our, our criminal justice system here. Um, why are we arresting folks for low-level dr drug crimes, but we're, we're not going to prosecute them. Tark, I'll begin with you. Well, I mean, it, I think it's indicative of a broader problem that exists in our broken criminal justice system. I mean, it, right now, on one side of the coin, you could say I, it's hard to hold that against them given the, the incredible backlog we have and just the disconnect between agencies from, you know, the, the moment of arrest and when a crime is happening until ultimate 
um, ultimately the end of that. So we know that the DA's office is backed up and has a backlog that under normal times is incredibly challenging. And under the last year of, of COVID is, is almost um, you know unprecedented. So on that side of the coin, I, I definitely understand it. There are higher priority things that can be done. Um, but on the other side of the coin, I, I absolutely see the challenge that our officers are facing every day. And, and again, we, it's just we can with this broken criminal justice system, we continue to tie one hand behind their backs and then ask them to do um, miracles for us. And, and I'm right now working with the neighborhood, Pine Valley, that is struggling. They are pleading with CMPD and with city council, with all of us, help us. We know the house. It's right there. The guy who lives there has, you know, over 20 violations he's, that he's been brought up and he's out every single time he knows how to work the system. And so they're asking, like, they're selling drugs. They're doing these exact things. And the problem is, it doesn't matter how many times they arrest them. You know, a bullet was shot there the other day. It missed somebody. But the next time someone might die. And, you know, so there's a lot of complex angles to this. Uh, Larkin, so is this, is this a good thing in your mind? Because it's progress. That we're moving in the right direction of not prosecuting, say, low-level drug crimes. Or do you think this is just more of a simple symptom of a broken system that needs to be uh, fixed more permanently? I think I think it's both. Um, and hearing Tark talk about the Pine Valley neighborhood perfectly mimics a, a situation I've got in my district in a neighborhood uh, that I represent. And so I think we see this around the city. And in instances where we've got um, drug offenders, drug dealers uh, that are contributing to crime in a neighborhood, situation like uh, Tark just mentioned, where you've got someone who is just repeatedly terrorizing a neighborhood and, and destabilizing a neighborhood. I do think in those instances, those people should be prosecuted and we should hold them accountable. But when we're talking about people um, who are not involved in any violent crime, who are small, uh, small amount drug users or, or maybe selling a little bit of weed, we, we've got other things we need to be focused on in this community. Our officers don't have the bandwidth to be dealing with stuff like that. And I applaud um, the district attorney, Spencer Merriweather, for, for taking this step. And we need to follow his lead and, and deprioritize, particularly marijuana, as something that we're asking our officers to go out and, um, and enforce, unless there are other mitigating factors. Uh, let's talk about the pandemic right now, because this past week, the, the governor extended the state's modified stay at home order until at least the end of February. The order keeps in place a curfew from 10 p.m. Uh, until 5 a.m. every day. Anywhere that sells alcohol must stop selling it at 9. Also extended through February, a, a statewide mask mandate requiring all North Carolinians to wear a mask in public and a 10 person limit at a, on uh, indoor gatherings. I mean, I, I feel like these restrictions, uh, although necessary, uh, they really hurt. Um, businesses in, in cities like Charlotte that really depend on a critical mass of people uh, to support their business, Larkin. Yeah, it's tough. There's not a right answer here. And no matter what um, the state or the county health departments put forward as, as the regulations or the recommendations, there are going to be people that aren't happy. I think the key is, and, and hopefully with a new federal administration, we will see continued relief for the people and the businesses that are suffering because they can't operate the way that they normally would. And so I, I am okay with us tightening the reins uh, or pulling in the reins on this to get control of this pandemic. And I think obviously with the vaccines getting out now uh, over the last couple of months, we ought to start to see some light at the end of the tunnel, but we've got to have from the federal and, and state level, but particularly the federal level, more assistance coming to help make these people and these businesses whole that are suffering because we're trying to get control of this. Tark, before we go to break, I want to get your sense, because you were critical of some of these lockdowns back in the spring 
Um, at, at this point, have you thrown your hands up in the air and just like, whatever, let's just get through this? Or, or, or are you still having problems with them? Normally, I would want to by now. It's been, you know, a year of Groundhog Days. But, um, but you know, we see the small businesses and the, the music venues and arts industry and hospitality and tourism every single day. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, all right, you know, it's, we can't win. Um, and, and it goes back to the same thing I've been saying the entire time. I've said it on the show before, which is, like, let's not, we have to take this virus seriously. Absolutely. Anyone who doesn't is just being ridiculous. But, you know, we've continued to treat this like a storm. We need to batten down the hatches for it to pass. And at best, right, it's a season. And at worst, it's a new normal to prepare for. So we're just prolonging the inevitable here if we don't figure out how to live with this. Uh, these two gentlemen are about to get a new colleague on city council. We'll talk about it coming up after the break. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warn storm team will be there for you. Welcome back to Flashpoint. 143 people signed up to fill Charlotte's vacant city council seat. The new council member will be announced on Monday. We do know it will be a Democrat since James Mitchell, who resigned, was a Democrat. That's part of the requirements. Um, Tark, explain to us how, how, you, how you guys go forward on Monday um, proceeding with this new member. Well, usually on the podcast, as you know, Ben, we like to have Larkin explain the stuff and then I comment on why it's gonna be terrible, but I'm glad to, uh, to, to take Please. that on. Um, we have, uh, like you said, 143 people that applied, slightly less of that uh, amount ended up after diligence by staff being um, eligible to be able to do it. Um, we will, uh, by airing of the show, have heard um, a solid day. It could take five days, who knows, for each of them to make their pitch uh, to the council for why they believe they are the right person. And then we will come together on Monday night, tomorrow, for those watching the show, uh, and um, have a debate amongst uh, our colleagues on council for who they liked. And then there will be a very detailed process by which um, we, we each get to nominate um, the folks that will make kind of the first cut, and then we'll go in a vote until ultimately someone um, achieves a majority of council votes. All right, let me be a skeptic here for a second. Um, been around politics enough. Is this something that's already sort of pre-decided that, that you all have already talked about and you already know somebody you, you want to do? Or is this not something you talked about and you guys literally don't know uh, who it's going to be? Larkin, explain. I mean, we've certainly had conversations amongst each other, and I think there are people that we're more familiar with um, of the applicants. We certainly want to and, and will have by the time the show airs heard from all the folks who are able to speak on Friday. But, you know, I do think that it's important, particularly given many of the big things we're going to be tackling this year, a lot of which you've talked about on this show, like transit, like changing the, the structure of our local government here. Um, there's so many big things. Obviously, affordable housing is, is always a, a big issue for us. So having somebody who can get up to speed quickly. And I think we've got a number of folks who have applied who have, uh, whether it's actual elected experience or having just served on advisory boards uh, in the community in certain roles with some of the topics that we cover, having somebody who can get up to speed quickly, I think is gonna be critical. So, you know, I would say there are some, some 
folks who are probably odds on favorites, but no, it literally has not been decided as of now. And Larkin, we should say we'd be remiss if we didn't say you announced this past week you're going to run for an at-large seat now. Um, uh, I gave Jeff Jackson a chance to give his 30-second pitch at the beginning of the show. I'll give you your chance. Why are you running for at-large? Well, the question I have gotten asked a lot this week since I made that announcement was, well, what's the difference? Why would you run for an at-large seat instead of a district seat? The, the best analogy I've come up with is being a district rep is kind of like being an emergency room doctor. You're dealing with whatever walks through the door that day, and it doesn't give you the chance to do maybe the research and the, and the long-range planning and big-picture uh, work that a cancer research doctor might do. So the things like transit, like affordable housing, they take a lot of time, but they have a huge impact on the whole city and, and for a long period of time. When you're dealing with rezonings and streetlights and potholes and the things that walk through that emergency room door of a district rep every day, it's hard to find the bandwidth to do the long-range planning. Tark, you running again? Uh, well, first, I'd like to make a major announcement, uh, Ben. I have decided to um, put all my effort behind a super PAC um, around Larkin. Um, it's actually against him, unfortunately, but it is going to be dedicated to Larkin for the next year. Yeah, okay. Um, are you running? But again? in seriousness, no, I, I'm at this point, I, I'm still ready and willing to serve our community in this capacity. I love it. It's it's got its ups and downs, obviously. But this is super early in the process. And we're only really halfway through this term, if you think about it. So there's a ton of work to do. I'm staying focused on that, not thinking about it yet. I think it is a little That's different fair. for Larkin. I ran back in 09 at large. It's a different it's a different animal running there. Sure. And I think this is just an indication because it's super early again for these conversations, an indication that this is going to be a really crazy local election cycle. All right. That's fair. That's fair. All right, gentlemen, thank you as always. We appreciate it. More Flashpoint after this. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warn storm team will be there for you. Come say hi over on uh, Facebook or Twitter. If there's something you want us to talk about or something you want to get off your chest, let us know. And also a reminder, folks, there's a Flashpoint podcast. Find that wherever you get your podcast. And we'll see you back here next weekend.